If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture, and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, and I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome along to episode 72 of Fireside. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about telling the story of one of the greatest stories by an Irish writer, an original tale by the great Oscar Wilde, and uh, an original retelling by myself. But before we get down to that, I just hope everyone is still well. This is, God, is this the sixth or seventh episode of the podcast that I've been recording in isolation during the coronavirus quarantine of 2020. The further we get in, we're now nearly in the summer. When I started recording these podcasts from home. It was still dark outside about the time I've been recording them in the evening. And now as I look out, it's still, there's a grand stretch in those old evenings there. But it does feel like there is a plan in sight now, at least in Ireland, um, of going to slowly but surely get back to normality. But we will be here each and every week until we can return to the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network studio in Dublin. I consider myself, as always, incredibly fortunate to have the space at home and the equipment to record this podcast for you each and every week. It's a great release for me, and I hope it's a release for you. I would, next of all, just like to say, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, you can, of course, Please do continue to like, subscribe, leave ratings, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on Instagram at FiresideBard, all one word, for updates about the podcast and whatever I'm up to myself. It's been really nice. I had recorded a couple of videos of me performing music at the start of the quarantine, but then I wasn't really doing... I fell out of doing them because... It's been great to see so many people, especially so many friends, recording music each and every day and releasing them. And it's been quite a nice thing, but it obviously has been incredibly oversaturated as well. And I didn't feel the need for me to continue doing that unless I had a particular reason to do a song. So I've been instead focusing musically on just trying to improve my musicianship from home, learning more instruments, learning more songs myself, um rather than just learning them to upload them as videos. But it was really nice. Last week, I got a request to uh, do a particular song, which I've been working away on. And it was really nice. It was really nice to get a request to do a song. And it was a song I didn't know as well. 
so I won't say any more about it because I haven't actually uploaded it yet but uh, you can check that out as well as other music and info at Fireside Bard on Instagram and if you really want to support the podcast your support over on patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast has never been more appreciated I want to say a thank you to this week's new patron, Hannah McCartney. She joins Caitlin Quinn and Martina Rafferty as our most recent uh, folks to join the Patreon family. And thank you so much. At this time, more than ever, your support is so appreciated. It's been, it's taking a good while because Patreon is such a competitive game to get the Fireside Patreon up and running. But now that there are starting to be a few patrons and that it is starting to build up. I can really say that there has been no, there's no greater joy I've found than to receive any kind of income for something that I enjoy doing this much and that I love doing, and that has always been such a labor of love that I have done and would do for free and will continue to do for free. But the idea of the generosity of some people to support this podcast that they enjoy has been really, really lovely. I can't really put that into words. But as always, if you're not in a position to financially support this podcast, or even if you just don't want to and you want to continue to enjoy it for free, you can do so. Because as I say, I enjoy doing this so much that I would do this and I get so much out of it. Oh God, can't be having phones going off now at that time. Hush, hush phone. So yes, I will continue to release this podcast each and every week, as long as you're willing to listen to them. That's all you need to bring to the table is open ears. I am a little bit hoarse today, probably because I've been singing a lot that I haven't been doing as much. I've been more just playing music. But moving on to today's story, this is the beginning of a new cycle. We've come to our for now end of the four cycles of Irish mythology and now we're moving on to a cycle of essentially my own invention which I'm calling the wild cycle which is which is I'm going to adapt the five fairy stories that were original creations of the great Irish writer Oscar Wilde we are going to start I'm starting with the first one in the collection, but as it happens, it is also, by and large, the most famous and one of the most famous pieces of work by Oscar Wilde in general, which is saying a lot considering he had such a vast, vast array of of work across different mediums in the relatively short time he was writing. But we can talk a lot more about Oscar and about the story itself after we get down to it. But it gives me great pleasure to to do this story today, especially during these times. So I'll get right down to it. This is The Happy Prince on Fireside. The Happy Prince There's a curious thing about statues. To have one built, you need to have reached a level of success and fame in life to warrant immortal commemoration in death. And yet, though some figures have such fame at the time of death to only require their surnames on the plinth, Parnell, Grattan, O'Connell, such is the way that as decades and centuries pass and statues become a part of the fabric of a town or city, that passers-by do not notice them any more. More often than not, they never even question who these people were or why there is a statue of them in the first place. 
two locals were walking through their home city, a place they thought they knew so well. They happened to be passing a column. They looked up, and on the plinth high above stood the statue of the Happy Prince. Ah, it's a great statue all the same, said one man. Yeah, it's lovely, all right. Who is it, though? asked the other. What do you mean? Who is that on the statue? The first man looked incredulous. Who is that? That's the happy prince, you fool. Well, I know it's the happy prince, said his friend. But, like, who was the happy prince? Like, what was his real name? Oh, said the first man. Oh, I haven't a clue of that. He's probably some Protestant who did some good. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And the two men kept walking and never thought about the conversation again. All over the city, the happy prince would inspire affection. Young mothers would give out to their children for crying and point up at the statue. Look at the happy prince. He never cries. You should be more like him. But this mother knew no more about who the real prince was than the two men who had quarrelled about it that day. Decadence, class and affluence were what the statue of the happy prince cried as it towered over the city below. He was coated with leaves of gold. Above his fixed cemented smile, his eyes were of rich blue sapphires brought all the way from India. And in the hilt of his sword was a blinding red ruby the size of a clenched fist. Those passers-by who knew no more about the prince than what they saw were sure of one thing, that he had been rich beyond his wildest dreams. And so, why wouldn't he be happy? On the outskirts of the city there was a little swallow. It was midsummer, and he was enjoying his time at home before flying south for the winter. He and his pals had decided on Egypt this year. Swallows usually always wintered in southern Africa, but they had never wintered in the north before, and were keen to see what all the fuss was about. The swallow looked forward to seeing the pyramids, nesting in tombs and feasting by the Nile. But for the time being, he enjoyed the relatively cool summer at home. As often comes with sunshine, romance also bloomed for the swallow. But much to his friends and family's chagrin, it was not another swallow, but a reed warbler. The swallow's friends were appalled by this. She's so nondescript, said one. If she wasn't singing, you couldn't even tell what bird she was. Too right, and look at the length of her beak. No, no, she's totally unsuitable for companionship with a beautiful swallow. But like we never do when we're in love, our swallow refused to listen to the shallow criticisms of his friends and began going on dates with his beloved reed warbler. They would swoop and fly around the city together, and when they sang together, it created a sound, maybe not in perfect harmony, but it was theirs. But when the time came to fly south for the winter, the swallow was having too much fun. So he said he would stay until the reed warbler wanted to go too. She won't want to go, counselled a more considerate friend. And her flock is probably flying somewhere else for the winter. If you don't come now, you'll never find us. So be it, resigned the swallow. 
and his friends and family all took off for Egypt. And not a week after they had left, things started to sour for the swallow and the reed. Conversation dried, and the swallow felt the reed was cheating on him, for she was always flirting with the wind. The subject of flying south for the winter was also avoided at all costs. That's another thing we do when we feel we're in love. Avoid the bigger questions and try to live in blissful ignorance. But as the swallow began to feel the air grow crisp, he could avoid asking no longer. Will you fly south with me? He came out with one day. No, I am too in love with my home. Then I have to leave you. His love cured, the swallow left his former beloved, never to see her again. It was night time before the swallow decided to fly south, and he would not set off until morning. So he took flight all around the city he lived in to take in the sights of the lights and the sounds of the town. He wanted to find a place to sleep that gave him the best view of the city. He knew his answer immediately, and the swallow rested on the plinth beneath the statue of the happy prince. Just before the bird faded off to sleep, he felt a plop of water on his head. Rain, thought the swallow, looking up and not seeing a cloud in the sky. Hmm, must have been a rogue drop. He tried to doze off again, but another raindrop fell on his head. The swallow cried, Gah! What's the use of nesting under a great big statue if it can't even shelter me from the rain? The swallow was about to take flight when he looked up to the stone face of the happy prince. And to his astonishment, the swallow saw that the statue was crying. Please don't leave, little swallow. The sudden speech of the inanimate statue nearly caused the tiny bird to go into cardiac arrest. When he steadied his breath and speech, he asked, Who? Who are you? In life I lived inside a palace, where sadness was not permitted to enter. I lived a life of comfort, luxury, not knowing a thing of the outside world. They called me the Happy Prince, because I was, blissfully living in selfish ignorance. But now I am dead. And they built this statue to my memory, and have placed me high above the city, where I can see all the cruelty, misery, and injustice in the world. Little Swallow, did you know there is a woman living down there who is a seamstress? She makes incredibly intricate detailed and fine clothing she can never afford to wear herself. Her gowns are sold to lords and ladies, while at home the seamstress's own child lies sick in bed with a fever. Little Swallow, can you take the ruby out of my sword hilt and take it to the child? The Swallow replied, My friends are waiting for me in Egypt. They left without me because I was in love, but I'm not in love any more. If I delay any longer, I may never find them. Little Swallow, said the happy prince. Please, if they do not receive the money soon, the child will die. I would go myself, but my feet are fastened to the plinth. So the swallow relented, plucked the miraculous ruby, 
which was as big as the swallow himself, out of the hilt and flew off in search of the seamstress' house. On the way, the swallow passed a balcony, where he could hear the sound of a ball taking place. The swallow saw a young lady sitting outside, and he heard her sigh. Oh, I hope that lazy seamstress hurries up with my dress. It had better be ready for tomorrow's ball. If I have to wear a gown I've already worn, it would be positively ghastly. When he heard this, the swallow attempted to double his pace, but he struggled under the weight of the ruby as it was. Soon the bird found the house. He looked in the window and saw the seamstress slouched over her workbench. Her hands were red raw from sewing, and her vision was starting to go from squinting so long at needle and thread. Beyond the station, the swallow saw a bed where a young child lay in a fevered, hot sweat. The swallow waited for his moment, and when he saw the seamstress leave the room, he swooped in and dropped the ruby right on the table. Before flying back out the window, the swallow flew over the bed and began to fan the little boy's head. The child began to feel cooler, as if his fever had finally broken, and he fell into a beautiful, deep, and undisturbed slumber. The swallow flew fast as he could back to the happy prince. "'The family will be saved,' he cried. "'But I do not understand why I feel so much better now. "'I'm no richer for having given away your ruby.' "'Because you have done something for someone else,' replied the prince. "'Before I was a statue, I never thought of others. "'But now even the lead heart in my chest aches for their plight. "'Little Swallow, thank you. "'Please stay the night with me under my plinth.' "'The Swallow did so, "'and the next morning arose with a new vigour for his trip to Egypt.' He flew up to the face of the happy prince to say goodbye. The prince said, Little swallow, will you not stay with me one more night? There is a young artist down there who is writing a play for the theatre. It has the potential to be a great work, but she has not received any of the encouragement she needs, financial or moral. She cannot feed herself, and if she does not soon, she may stop writing forever. I do not have another ruby to give her. But can you please take one of my eyes and give it to her? They are made with imported sapphires and will pay all her bills and keep her writing. I will stay with you another night, began the bird. But I cannot pluck out one of your eyes. I cannot be so cruel to you. Little swallow, I will still have one eye. Please take it to her. So the swallow again relented plucked out one of the sapphires, and flew down to the bohemian loft apartment of the writer. The swallow was nearly knocked out by the foul stench of absinthe and broken dreams. He looked in and saw the writer staring at a half-written page. The swallow dropped the sapphire on the window outside, rapped at the window pane, and flew away. Hearing the sound, the writer came to the window and saw the sapphire. "'I have a secret patron of my work,' All of this is for something. I can now finish the play. The writer sat back down and began to work with new fervour. The next day, the swallow was determined to leave for Egypt. If he did not leave soon, it would soon be too cold to fly, and he would never find his friends. 
he sat on the shoulder of the happy prince. I am leaving for Egypt, but I will return to you after winter with two rare stones to replace the ones you have lost. Little Swallow, will you not stay with me one night longer? Winter is here. My friends are enjoying the sun of Egypt, bathing in the Nile and nesting in the pyramids. If I do not leave soon, I will never find them. But Little Swallow, down there is a little match girl whose matches have all fallen into the snow. When she goes home, she will be beaten by her father for not bringing home any money. Please take her my other eye. I cannot leave you blind. Little Swallow, please do as I command. And the swallow plucked out the other eye and dropped it at the feet of the little match girl who screamed with delight. She was too young to know it was a sapphire. Hell, I don't even think I'd know a sapphire if I saw it. But she knew that it was large and pretty, and large pretty things usually had value. The swallow returned to the happy prince. Prince, you are blind now, so I will not leave you, ever. No, little swallow, you are waited for in Egypt, you must leave me. But the swallow was decided. I will never leave you. I will stay with you forever. The following day, the swallow sat on the shoulder of the happy prince and told him stories of his entire life. The prince had no eyes any more, so the bird described the sights of the city. Then the happy prince said, Little swallow, you have told me such wonderful stories, but the most incredible thing is human suffering. There is no mystery so great as misery. All around this city are people who are poor and hungry. I have no jewels left, but I am covered in gold. You must peel it away, leaf by leaf, and give it to whoever you choose. The living always think gold will bring them happiness. So the swallow stripped each and every piece of gold from the statue of the happy prince until the statue was dull and bronze. Then the swallow began to shower leaves of gold on the poor of the city. Adults and children alike danced with glee as gold landed in their laps. The swallow felt overwhelmed by the joy of it. But then he realized he was overwhelmed by something else. The cold. The swallow rapidly flapped its wings to try and keep the heat in his tiny body, but he knew he did not have long. With each laboured and deliberate flap of his wings, the swallow returned to the happy prince, landed on his shoulder, and said, I must leave you. Ah, little swallow, you are finally going to Egypt. No, I'm not going to Egypt. I'm going to the land of death which I hear is the brother of sleep. May I kiss your hand before I die? Little Swallow, I love you. Please kiss me on the lips. The tiny bird flew in front of the happy prince, now dull but still beautiful. The bird pecked his lips, and then the swallow fell dead on the plinth below. No one was around to hear it, but inside the statue of the happy prince, at that very moment, the leaden heart cracked in two. The next day, a councillor of the city looked up and was appalled by the sight of the happy prince. My 
God, the Happy Prince looks awful. Kids must have stolen his jewels and stripped his gold. We cannot possibly have that eyesore towering over our beloved city. At the next council meeting, no one disagreed, and the statue of the Happy Prince was torn down. We must build a new statue, it was declared. We should build a statue to me, said the councillor who had opted to tear down the Happy Prince, as a mark of my considerable contribution to the city. Again, no one disagreed, and the statue of the Happy Prince was melted down and reforged into the ugly image of the egotistical councillor. Curiously, the leaden heart of the Happy Prince would not melt, and so was discarded alongside the frozen body of the dead swallow. The councillors all agreed that they must petition to outlaw birds dying on their statues. And it is thought that if the two most precious things in the city were ever called for by gods or man, the only true answer would be the body of the swallow and the heart of the happy prince. The End And that is the story of The Happy Prince by Oscar Wilde in a retelling by yours truly. I hope you enjoyed it. This story was a different kind of challenge, but it was also a different kind of joy. It was a different approach because in previous fairy stories and myths, I'm going on stories primarily rather than versions of stories. I'm reading different versions of stories. But here we have an original story written by one of the greatest writers of all time. And so when I decided that I wanted to do the Wild stories, because Oscar Wilde's mother, the Lady Wilde, had been a prominent folklorist and collector. Many of the stories that we have already done over the course of the last year and a half on Fireside have been Lady Wilde versions so this is what Oscar Wilde was born into. And so he created his own additions, original additions to the tradition. But also a lot of the stories, or at least some of the stories we've adapted as well, were original stories by their respective collectors, by T. Croft and Croker or by Douglas Hyde, whoever the original versions were. Sometimes they were just original stories. And in the case of Oscar Wilde, I initially considered just doing retellings of them, as in just reading the stories. But that isn't... While I would never, ever be able to write a better version or a more perfect version than the wild versions of these stories, my desire is to be a storyteller rather than simply a narrator for the purposes of that. And if I was to read these stories to children, to my own or to others as they were read to me. This was a story, this is a story I can remember from my whole life. I can remember hearing it when I was very young. I remember even studying it in college in a in a dialect class. If I was to pass this story on, would I read it or would I just tell it? And I actually think it's more of a mark to how incredible the story is that this piece of as a story, the elements of it as a story are stronger than any words that make up its version. 
So I think the Happy Prince has now reached a level of fame that it has entered into the folklore canon. And I'm sure there are many people who know the story of the Happy Prince who aren't aware that it is an original creation by Oscar Wilde. So I thought it was worth giving a go. And as always, I'm open to feedback and absolutely go and read, go and read the wild versions of all of these. They are better than I could ever write. But I don't think I could, with the same honesty of delivery, certainly tell the wild story better, but I can tell my own version. And I stick to the elements quite closely that's what was quite interesting to see is that even though I wasn't using wild words, it just feels to me very wildian, just the elements of it, of how he how he personifies birds and his wit and his humour, even me writing it in my bastardized words, it felt like Wilde was with me. In, in a really naff way while I was reading it. And I loved that because Wilde has always been one of my favourite writers, full stop, never mind just Irish writers, because I've always been in love with his language. As in acting, language has always been my favourite thing. And post-Shakespeare and certainly in comedy, there is very little you can get that's as better than Oscar Wilde on top form. But... Wilde, I think, fits really nicely in with the context of this podcast because of what he was born into, because he was born into this, uh, having a folklorist for a mother. And these stories, The Happy Prince and Other Tales, as is the name of the collection, it's five stories, of which all going well, unless they, unless this is incredibly poorly received, I'm going to adapt all five of them. This was released in 1888, and Oscar Wilde graduated from Oxford at about 1882, I think. So this is very early Oscar Wilde. This is before Dorian Gray. This is before his wild success, pardon the pun, as a playwright, which is... He wrote in basically every medium, which I adore. He he was a poet. He was a storyteller. He was a playwright. He was a novelist. He was a short story writer. He sampled and played around with so many different art forms and mediums and was a huge success in so many of them and these stories are no exam uh, no exception but i read in a complete works of oscar wilde that i have here uh collins edition of it in introductions to his short stories they said that one of the reasons you could say that oscar wilde was so successful in so many different mediums is because his foundation was as a storyteller that he always was most interested in telling a story and so that's why I love that right early in his career you have this collection of fairy stories for ch for children and certainly when I was adapting this this felt more European you know rather than like feeling like Irish like Irish folklore this felt like it could have been a grim tale and the influence of the Brothers Grimm and by European folklore is hugely evident in this and this is very definitely aimed at a younger audience, despite having incredibly universal themes and being quite adult in terms that it deals with death and poverty and, and greed and selfishness. And, oh God, it's just brilliant. But I loved that. I loved the idea of wild success in so many different mediums being sourced to his ability as a storyteller. And 
that's what that really cemented in my mind that the wild cycle was the next thing that should be done on Fireside. And it feels very different to what we've done as before. And I hope that you respond to it um, as well as I have in rediscovering these stories. The Happy Branch was one I knew very well, but some of the other stories I had only read for the very first time when doing the research for these episodes and some of them have already gone in as my favourite stories I've read. And it's really nice. It feels it feels really nice to be closer to a particular writer again. It's just got me on a massive Oscar Wilde buzz full stop. Um, Grant, we're still recording. I always feel when I get into a bit of a tangent, I'm not watching the recorder and feel like it could just be stopping. So yeah, I feel... I feel in quite a good form after that. Maybe it's because I, I hope I'm not coming under the weather and I feel a bit hoarse. I always sound hoarse when I'm recording this podcast. So it might just be, it might just be a, a paracetamol, or a, a herbal tea buzz that I'm on. But th- that story really made me feel nice, and it's quite, it's a really sad story. And there's a story of apparently of Oscar Wilde, reading. Um, his story, the selfish giant, to a group of to a group of children, or I think no, I think he was reading the Nightingale and the Rose, and there was a mother there, and she said, uh, "Oh God, I'm so happy you didn't read the Happy Prince. You know, it'd be reduced to tears." And apparently, the Happy Prince wasn't the story that brought Oscar Wilde to tears. That's he found the selfish giant to be much sadder, and that was the one that upset him the most. That was according to one of Oscar's grandsons. Merle Holland, I think is his name, is it? Yeah, Merlin Holland, yeah. Great name, isn't it? Merlin Holland. But so I hope, yes, as always, your feedback is appreciated and it's been fantastic getting more and more of your messages. It's really lovely that you are genuinely responding to my stories and responding to my call-outs for that because I feel that's how we'll keep this podcast going and that's how we'll keep each other going at this time. I love hearing messages of people, you know, who have been listening to this podcast on their on their only outing out of the house while we're all quarantined at the moment. And I hope that when the time you're listening to this out there, that it, we might be well past all this if you are someone who's only at the time of recording at the beginning or hasn't even discovered the podcast at all yet. But thank you for your messages and keep on sending them. I'll keep on replying to them. If you have any requests for songs, do send them over on Instagram. If you want to hear any Irish folk or even country, country western songs, I have an eclectic interest um, and anything that I feel I can do my own version of, I'm happy to do. So we'll see you all next week. You'll hear me on next week. Thank you so much as always to Jamie, my producer, for continuing to edit this, for Alan and Paddy at Headstuff, and for all of you for listening most of all. Follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Support the Patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcast. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time around the Fireside. And remember, wherever you are, you can always join me by the Fireside. Thank you and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. Plus. 